In the name of God, amen. So um, I'd like to introduce you to my cousin Carrie Irons and my good family friend Nancy Kinneman, who are sitting right there in the back and visiting. I have to tell you this because the last time I saw my cousin Carrie, I was not yet bishop. I had been elected but not consecrated. And one of the ways that cousins prepare you for your future adventure is to make fun of you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I have this picture of of myself sitting in a chair with a lampshade on my head. <laughs> Thanks to my cousins who thought that would be a great way for me to prepare for the mitre that you see me walking around with. Just there's something about this job that requires ridiculous hats. <laughs> it's good to see you both. And also wonderful to see all of you. As I said, the last time I worshiped with you, you were in the midst of, or perhaps at the culmination of, your extraordinary year of celebration of your bicentennial. Now, who, who among you was on the committee that helped plan that bicentennial? A couple of you, several of you here. Can I just ask you, how long did you prepare? How long did you work on that whole endeavor? Maybe two years. Two years? And when did you call the presiding bishop's office and ask if you could get on her calendar? Two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it wasn't the week before, right? Just did, I just wanted to establish that. Um, so if you were to say to a sister congregation that wanted to celebrate in a, in a significant way a hallmark event, one of the things you would say is, call the presiding bishop two years in advance. <laughs> Be prepared, right? It's going to take some work. If you want to do it on the fly, you might have a really great day, but it won't be of the depth and the beauty and significance that it would be if you prepared, right? Uh, this is Veterans Day weekend. How many of you have served in the armed forces in any capacity? Thank you for your service. What's the first thing that happens when a young man or woman signs up for the military? Where do you go? Basic you go to basic training, right? I hear it's a great time. <laughs> Just a blast, right? A lot of fun, right? So why do you go to basic training? Prepare. To prepare. Because if you were to go to what was awaiting you, even in the training that requires you to be able to do the things you do in the military, you have to prepare your body and your mind for what's ahead, right? And what would you say to a person who says, I'd really like to serve my country, but I'd rather skip basic training? It's not for you, right? It's not for you, because what's ahead of you requires a discipline and a resilience that you don't get by showing up, right? How many of you are musicians and have played an instrument? What are the first things you learn when you, when you take up an instrument? Scales, right? You practice your scales. Or if you're a scientist, 
You learn the basics, the rudimentary dimensions of your field before you... You see where I'm going with all of this, right? Um, it doesn't make a church a worse church or an inferior church if it doesn't prepare in a significant way the way you did for your bicentennial. It just means that when the day comes, they're not as prepared and as grounded and able to appreciate the depth of what could be, right? A person who doesn't go to basic training isn't necessarily less patriotic than one who does and serves his or her country, but the one who does is more capable to, do, to give that service because of the preparation. We sang a hymn that your wonderful musician Lauren wrote and composed for us. She didn't just sit down one day and write that. It, it was the culmination of years of study and practice and love channeled through her art. Now, when you open the scriptures and we try to understand Jesus and his teachings, right, he, has, he teaches in parables, he teaches in pithy sayings, he, he tries to get our attention. And he's got a whole series of parables, not like the one we read today, but a whole bunch of them where the point of them is you are loved unconditionally no matter what you do, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter what you, you know, what foolish choices you and paths you take in your life, God still unconditionally loves and welcomes you. Can you think of one come to mind just from that whole category of his teachings? There once was a father who had two sons. What's that? The prodigal son. What's the point of that parable? You know, the son who had the party could not have been welcomed more lavishly after making a complete mess of his life. And the point of that is, we will be welcomed always in God's heart, no matter what, right? It's a whole series of his teachings that are like that. Then there are teachings like the ones we heard today about the bridesmaids, five wise, five foolish. There are a whole bunch of them like this as well. There's, there's the one about the builder, well, you know, and the two builders, one who built his house on stone and the other who built his house on sand. And the rains came and the storm flew and one house stood and the other didn't, right? Or the, or the king going off to battle and he had troops of, I don't know, 40,000 and he meets up and he sees an army of, um, I've got my numbers wrong, um, so that one had 10,000, this one had 40,000. The one with 10,000 looks ahead and sees, doesn't look good for me, I think I'll send a peace delegation instead, right? He's thinking ahead, he's planning. And then we've got the story of the 10 bridesmaids, five who are prepared, five who aren't. Um, I don't think the point is about the five who aren't in the sense of, oh, those wicked people, they're never going to make it in my kingdom. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is when we choose to be prepared for something in life, when we choose to discipline ourselves and to get up early in the morning so that we can get that 
foundational work done or when we set on a course of study that may take 12 years to accomplish, but at the end of which you could be a surgeon or a, 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 an astronaut, right? You can offer so much more to the world and to God. It's not about being worthy, but it's about being capable of helping God heal the world, helping God spread love and kindness and forgiveness, helping be a part, a force for good. We can all do it on the fly every once in a while, right? We all can spontaneously have great things happen, and, and God, thank God for those moments, right? The, when you least deserve it, you can be an instrument of grace, or when you were least expecting it, I should say. But the likelihood of our being able to do those things or to be those kind of people is exponentially improved if we just set ourselves and our, ta and our intentions in a certain way. And we were created for that. We were created for that kind of artistry and mastery that culminates over time. It's part of the wonder of our giftedness as human beings. And one of the things, I mean, other species also learn how to do things in their lifetime, but there's something extraordinary about human capacity to transform ourselves and to become more of ourselves and to be prepared for things in a way that allow us to be resilient and thrive um, and help others to do the same. So I spend a lot of time thinking about the future of the church. That's sort of my job, right? So I think about what are the things that we need to do and to be now so that our community of Christians, that is the Episcopal Church, which has a particular gift to offer, how can we ensure that it's healthy and strong, not only for those of us who are here now, but for our children and our grandchildren? How can we thrive in a culture that's vastly different than the culture that, in which this community was planted 200 years ago? Would you agree that our forebears could not have anticipated the spiritual climate that we're in now? But it's on our watch, it's on my watch, to ensure that we adapt and we thrive. And that requires a bit of foresight and some study and some questions that are different than just showing up, right? You, in each one of your lives, no doubt, has a similar trajectory somewhere in your personal lives or in your families, in your work. We're certainly facing it as a species. You may have read the UN climate change report that came out this week saying yet again what we know is true, that if we want this planet to be for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, what a healthy place for them to live, we actually have some choices to make and time is running out. That's thinking ahead and acting now in such a way that we can bring about our preferred future for us as individuals, for us as communities of faith, for our country, and for our world. The question isn't if we're worthy enough for God. That's been settled 
That was settled by Jesus on the cross. It was settled by God in our creation. That, it's a given. We're all in. The question for us, one of the questions for us as we live, is how much do we want to contribute? How much of an agent of peace and reconciliation and goodness do we want to be? And if we want to make the kind of change that will last and endure and, and, and be worthy of the life given us, we have to prepare. Have to go down to the store and fill up our oil wicks, lamps. Have to study even when we don't feel like it. Have to train even when we'd rather sleep in. We'd have to forgive the small things even though we, part of us would rather hang on to the grudge because it feels good. Have to stretch to get to know a person who disagrees with us because we're part of the same community or the same country. We have to make sacrifices now so that others might live. And if we do that, God will thank us. Will thank us for being part of the communities of love and faith and compassion upon which our species and the world depends. Will you, will you join me in that? Amen. Amen.